Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. Another episode of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. We have um, hit a huge milestone this week where we have officially crossed 50,000 total plays. Wow. And I'm <laughs> really, really excited about that. It's a number I never thought would even be possible. I, I say that every time, but I'm continually impressed and just very humbled by all of your guys' support so thank you we've got a really cool episode here we um we've got a special guest with us we're gonna have a third person on the podcast for the first time so um this uh this guy is a long time friend of mine we've been friends since middle school we've taken drum lessons together we've played probably close to a thousand shows together wow and um just really great friend and a really great musician um ethan scott welcome to the good music podcast hey what's up lucas thanks for having me grant thanks for having me (laughs) we're really excited a grueling a grueling thousand shows oh yeah (laughs) whenever you say a thousand shows it makes it sound really glamorous yeah, oh, it's it's it was a lot of those were in, it was three shows a night for four nights a week for three years in sweaty cowboy outfits. That's that doesn't sound as good as okay. it's like a thousand shows. Wow, you guys have been doing this for so long. It's like no, it was just a absolute blitz fest. For yeah. three what years. was what was your average audience size? Um, oh, like sixty. 50- 50 screaming kids that just got hyped up on root beer floats. I mean, 50, you know. It was magic. It really was. Who knows if they even noticed a single note that we played. <laughs> I think I remember you telling stories about that in we all called, the podcasts before. Yeah, we called it Music Boot Camp. Yeah. Because anybody that we put on that band, by the end of that summer, they were significantly better at their instrument. <laughs> We also called it Music Boot Camp because we all were all wearing cowboy boots. That's also true. <laughs> <laughs> There's some double entendre to that. Yeah, that was the uh, the first summer we did that was actually the, the summer that I realized that I liked playing bass and that I had some actual talent at it. Because <laughs> I had right. been two years before that and I hated it because I was bitter that I couldn't be the drummer in Pet Band. Because there were five drummers in there already that were all better than me. Right, and then and including then that, Ethan. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, look at you now. Look at it, you now. 50, I know. listeners. The listen. I would like to say that I was listener number one before <laughs> there was a podcast. I was I was the person that was hearing all of the 
the uh, music history before anyone else. I would just like to throw that out there. Yeah, the we would have to. Uh, we would have these shows at Dry Gulch. We would have to drive like an hour, fifteen hour, twenty there and back every night. And that's where kind of the I guess you could say it was the original genesis of this show. It's when I first started getting interested in into music history was kind of through these car rides and me kind of trying to explain the very limited knowledge that I had at that time. We would exchange one of us would we had a while where one of us was making a playlist on the way up and then the other one would make a playlist on the way back. Yep. And, and we would go back and forth on why the songs were good or why the songs were bad. So really I'm the guest co-host. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't think of it that way. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I guess I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah. I'm thinking back, I guess. Yeah. That was kind of the, the beginning spark of it. So that's that's pretty cool to think about. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but for those of you that are joining the first time, uh, if you like what you're hearing, please hit the subscribe button on whatever platform that you're listening on. We're on just about every platform that has podcasts. Uh, we are finally on Spotify. That's not incredibly new, but for those people that maybe I, I don't say it every episode. So if Spotify is your preferred listening place. That's where I listen to my podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, you can go check it out there, but we're also on Apple and Google and Stitcher and Overcast and all the, all the cool little niche ones that I'm not quite sure what their function is, but you know, we're on it. So yeah, just hit the subscribe button and uh, leave us a comment. Let us know what artists you want us to cover in the future. And um, we haven't gotten uh, too many uh, requests over the months, but we actually got two really cool messages over this last week. And I wanted to read them here on the podcast. Okay. We got one comment from Davy Lee Smitty on our, uh, on our Apple platform. And he gave us a five-star rating, which we are really appreciative of. Thanks, he, Smitty. Yeah. Uh, he says, howdy, fellas. I happen to have grown up with classic rock and roll, and I dig your stuff so far. I'd love to suggest some of my all-time favorites. They are Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble. Yes, that'd be great. ZZ Top, also great. David Lee oh, Roth yeah. solo material, something I'm actually not super familiar with, but okay. I'm interested to research for that. Um, Joe Satriani, absolutely, we will do an yes, episode on that. Yeah. And this very obscure band that Jake E. Lee was a part of called Badlands, which is a criminally underrated band and really deserves to be more out there, in my opinion. Thank you all so very kindly and keep going to town like a double-decker bus with the content. Rock on. <laughs> I love it. Thank uh, you, Davey. Uh, I actually have never heard of Badlands, but I do know who Jake E. Lee is. I would hope. Uh, he was, I would say, the most guitar player that Ozzy ever had. I mean, if you follow Randy Rhodes, you're, you're by definition yeah. underrated. 
And also, uh, Zach Wild tends to get a lot of the attention as well for yeah, Ozzy's guitarists. He's his most longtime guitarist as well. Yeah, and has kind of gone on to just become an icon by himself. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, Jakey Lee, he he is a very, very good guitar player. I, I love Bark at the Moon. I think yeah. that that's one of his best albums mm-hmm. and one of his best songs. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we'll uh, we'll definitely check that out. And then uh, we also got another really great uh, comment. This was on Stitcher, and this was from Tina Adams, and she said, uh, "This is such a great podcast. I found this about a month ago." I searched for something to listen to during my daily walk and searched for Elton John. After that episode, I was hooked. I usually listen during my walk and afterwards. I listen to the six songs that Lucas picks out for Grant and the rest of us to listen to. I love the things that I've learned about different artists and have also learned to appreciate everything from Megadeth to Coldplay. Who knew? <laughs> wow. I'd love it if you do an episode on Collective Soul, which is the second time we've gotten that request. Uh, Duran Duran, which is actually on my very short list of bands to do in the near future. Kate Bush, uh, which I know a little bit of, but definitely need to learn some more about. And Gary Newman, who is also someone I need to know more about. Keep listening to good music, guys. And Tina, you keep awesome walking. Because that's our, it's our Tina's tagline. Probably, Tina's probably yeah. listening to this right now, and she's walking right now. Tina, you just keep walking. Yes, you're doing we a are, great job. Uh, yeah, uh, we're we just we love getting feedback from you guys. We love to hear your stories of discovering us, and it's really cool to see someone kind of you know adopt the principle that we have for this podcast, which is learning about everything. You know, not just learning about the bands you already know about and love, but discovering things that either you've never heard before or maybe didn't have an appreciation for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's that's the ethos of what we do. And it's really cool to kind of, you know, see people expanding their musical horizons through what we do. And it's great motivation for us to keep going. Yeah. And... uh the best way to help us keep going forward is to go become a patron because we got a Patreon page. We do, and we have exclusive content on there. Yes, we do. For the $3 tier and the $5 tier. Yeah, Not the so $10 you, yet, but that's on its way. We're going to work on that. If, yeah. you, if you want to join for $10 just to be extra generous, you can, but you're not going to get anything extra right now. But in the future, we'll definitely roll it out. But the current options are for three dollars, um, you'll be able to get access to episodes early. So, uh, any of you guys that are patrons, you might be hearing this episode right now earlier than everyone else, which means you're really cool. <laughs> and if you sign up for the five dollar tier, then not only will you get access to episodes early, but you're also going to get a bonus cover song that won't be heard anywhere else. So make sure that you guys go check that out. And we're going to actually be putting more content on there very soon without changing the price. 
Mm-hmm. So um, make sure that you guys are looking out for that. And uh, we're also on social media. We've got an Instagram and a Facebook page, so go check us out there. We're always doing stuff on there, making announcements. And I think that's everything that I needed to plug. Okay. Hopefully I'm not forgetting, because I've forgotten before. I I think that's everything. Okay. <laughs> so I think we can go ahead and officially get this ball rolling all right so let's go ahead and talk about the artist in this episode the artist who is sticks yes spelled with a y and an x yes so that is um from the name of the mythological river that takes people to hell that is i I did not think that that was what it was. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay. It's the, the river sticks. It's it's the uh, um, yeah. It's, it's Greek mythology that whenever souls die, that's they get. That's kind of the place that takes them from the material world to the underworld. Was that just like oh, cool sounding word? Exactly. Okay. It wasn't like for any. <laughs> No, they had a they had a list of names and they couldn't agree and they said that Styx was the only one that none of them hated. <laughs> Do we have access to the other names on that list? Um <laughs> we probably do. I would have to fact check it. But I, I remember them talking about it, but I can't remember um what they were. Let's let's I'll see if I can find it real quick. Um, no, I can't. I can't see where the other ones were, but I remember hearing them and just going, "Yeah, sticks was definitely the best choice." <laughs> so, and it was also better than the original name, which was um, the Trade Winds. Yeah, sticks is better. Yeah. Now, are they are they one of those bands? Like, obviously, they had trouble agreeing on a name. Were they like? Fleetwood Mac type um, where there's a lot of internal oh yes okay this was a very combustible band that is so weird because they, they don't sound like it I know it's because whenever it's whenever they put their differences aside and made music together that man the music just was so good yeah but there are there are a lot of alpha males in this band. Oh. And that's kind of where the the story is around mainly three of three of the main guys. Let's talk about the members before we get yes. too far into this. Um So think, Yeah, okay. So the two founding members of the band um are twin brothers, which is Chuck and John Panazzo, bassist and drummer. Okay. So obviously they've known each other the longest because they were born together. Right. <laughs> and uh, when they were 12 years old, they hooked up with another kid in their neighborhood named Dave Young, who is the keyboard player and one of the lead vocalists. Mm-hmm. And so pretty much that was the first iteration of the band was those three guys. 12? Yeah. 
these guys these guys were young um at, and but they were very very talented even at an early age especially Dennis and they kind of just did the whole touring the the you know playing school dances and bar mitzvahs and um <laughs> uh, you know Cover getting songs, to right? getting into clubs wherever they could were they weren't were they writing material yet uh starting to but you know they were mostly the... cutting their teeth on covers yeah um definitely one of the main songwriters and so he was um writing songs pretty early on you said one of yes so is it like a switch off or did he eventually leave the band at some point and we can get well to that. he's He's not with the band now. He hasn't been since 99, but they were always a multi-lead singer band. There wasn't one specified lead. They actually had three different lead singers at are, the same time. Are they all represented on our list? No, only two of them are. Okay. Because one of them didn't sing near as often as the other two it, did. It doesn't sound like multiple people. Yeah, uh, their voices did blend very well. But when we get into the songs, you'll be able to kind of hear the differences whenever I kind of explain. Kind of like how we did with the Beatles. Yeah. Where it's, you know, once you know what to look for, then it becomes kind of obvious who's singing what. So, um, uh, so those three stuck together for quite a while. They went to college together. They're a Chicago-based band. And um, it was from that point that they got their two guitar players, which were John Kuraluski. I'm not quite sure if I said that right. And James Young, who James Young would be one of the other vocalists in the band. But he does not sing on any of the songs in, featured in this episode. No relation. No. Yeah. So we've got we've got Young and D Young. Hmm. Oh, so okay. I thought D was like a... No, it's not a middle initial. It's okay. D-E-E and then capital Y. Gotcha, gotcha. De Young. Okay. Yeah, I never really noticed that until I was doing the research and I was looking at like liner notes to see who wrote what song and I'd be like, oh, we've got Young and De Young. <laughs> That's <laughs> not confusing. So these guys stayed together throughout like junior high and high school and college? Well, the three uh, principal members were all through middle middle school, high school, college. And then it was uh, after um, getting out of college that they met um, or during college that they met the two guitar players. But they hadn't recorded an album yet. No. So they would record their first album in 72. So we're, we're looking at the 70s during this uh, period and the period where they were most successful. 70s and a little bit of the early 80s. So, um, yeah, 72. So what's interesting about Sticks is that they had a very long arduous road to success and it's really interesting to kind of see this because we know about the cutthroat nature of the music business yeah. like 
if after a couple albums you're not selling well, you tend to not get to keep get having mm-hmm. chances of making albums. Mm-hmm. They didn't hit it big until their seventh record. This is like Pink Floyd level of. Yeah, but Pink Floyd still had the immense underground and critical fame. They just didn't have necessarily the sales, but they were they were always critical darlings and super pioneering in technology and stage performance that they were kind of like, Give you know, pass. they were too weird to and too important to get rid of until you know even dark side of the moon then that's when like the rest of the public caught up with it um the critics hated sticks even after they got successful really they for whatever reason critics have just hated them i would say it's the main reason they're not in the rock and roll hall of fame yet Mm. which i think is one of the biggest omissions and one of the biggest travesties of people that haven't gotten in yet because they surely have the hits to back it up so are these guys independent as they were releasing their albums well they were on smaller labels like they didn't get onto a main label on until um the mid 70s their fifth record was their first one on a major label And I think that kind of helped them because since it was a smaller label, there wasn't as much stakes. But at the same time, they were also horribly managed. What do you mean? As far as just their record label did not advertise them properly. Mm. Um, They had a song on their second album, Lady, that's become one of their biggest hits. It ended up becoming the first hit of their career but it wasn't until four years after it originally came out wow and it ended up becoming all the way up went up all the way up to number six after you know they switched record labels and were like okay listen we know this song can be a hit re-release it and they listened to them and that's kind of when they started taking their first steps towards success but they just had to get off that first label. But at the same time, it ended up being good for them because those first four records are pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's some bright spots here and there like Lady, uh, but for the most part, you can tell that they're just not quite sure what they want to be. So we don't but, have any songs from those first four then? No, I... We'll definitely do an episode on that first one, though, because there's enough good songs in there to kind of take an interesting look at their beginnings. But it's not like they're these albums that are so good and just were so criminally hidden. It was just kind of like, yeah, you know, if they were on a major label, they probably would have gotten dropped. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you think propelled them into in into stardom then if like what you like what you said before and and how most artists are it's like if you don't have a breakout hit you know usually you're kind of labeled as a failure so like what changed in the band to even like when when did it turn for them when lady was released as a single so let's explain why that was important so when you listen to those first four records 
they're very they're like a hybrid of blues and prog which they weren't mm. necessarily too great at either <laughs> but lady is an is like a queen inspired power ballad um it's got tons of layered harmony vocals it's got a it's a it's a pop song and those were the kinds of songs that dennis DeYoung wanted to write what he felt he was good at writing but whenever mm. he got passed over for that song being released as a single he thought well i guess that's not the kind of music we're going to write so they continue trying to make this blues prog thing happen and so mm. once lady became a single a, a hit single he was just like oh then we'll just keep making songs like this he had said that if Lady had become a hit single when it was supposed to off the second album, that their fifth album was the one they would have made next. Yeah, he just needed the the, affirm- the public affirmation. He has described many times that he gets very personally hurt whenever the public doesn't accept what he's made. Like, he's, mm. he's a true artist. He's very sensitive. Mm-hmm. But... You know, once they realized that that was the kind of music that people wanted to hear, then that's when they started leaning into. They still kept a little bit of the prog, but instead of prog blues, it became like prog pop. And just the songwriting just continued to get sharper and sharper. But the last missing piece they needed was um, in 76, whenever they got rid of their guitarist John Kirilewski and they got Tommy Shaw Tommy Shaw was kind of the the missing ingredient that they needed because he was also a principal songwriter and an incredible lead guitar player and a great singer he ended up becoming the third lead singer of the of the group hmm. Hmm. so and he was also you know sticks were not like superstars as far as their personalities or their look they were kind of just like normal looking dudes they didn't have a lot of stage presence but tommy shaw he was a rock and roll guy and he had he looked like a rock star and he acted like a rock star and so he gave them a big um boost to their image to their stage performance to their songwriting to the vocals uh, to the guitars like he just he elevated them while they were already on this upward trajectory so he comes in on the crystal ball record in 76 and then uh in 77 their seventh album the grand illusion that was the album that turned them into you know it was their first multi-platinum record uh four hit singles off of it that was kind of the album that took them to the top and then they had four multi-platinum albums in a row. And they became the first band to ever do that. Wow. So where did all the where does the drama come in? I know you said that the it was a volatile band. Where did where was all that yes. so um pretty much everything is fairly smooth all the way through Grand to the album after that, pieces of eight. Um, but then uh, Dennis DeYoung really started to want to take creative control of the band. He was the mm. pop um, 
very smooth pop. Like he loved to write ballads. That's what he excelled at. Um, did he do and, most of the writing on Grand Illusion? He did quite a bit of it. Hmm. And you know, just that's that was he's he's kind of the schmaltzy guy of the band. Um, you know, writing songs like um, you know, Come Sail Away and lady and babe i love you and just kind of you know very soft pop you know kind of cheesy sounding but it's just it was what he was into and he was good at it he was good at it it's yes he was it's very interesting that you noted that lady was like their biggest or became their biggest hit from that time and that's what he liked to do i don't think Mm -hmm. that's a coincidence i don't think it has to do with anything of what the public wanted it just it it probably came so naturally to him yeah and that's why it was good Mm -hmm. it was authentic right and so that's the thing that i think also is such an argument in his favor when they would write these very simple pop songs it wasn't them selling out it was him writing the songs he truly wanted to write yeah he wasn't compromising oh let's go ahead and write the easy pop single just so we can you know get the money to keep going like that's what he wanted to do but both tommy shaw and james young hated that stuff they wanted to write hard rock songs songs like renegade and blue collar man and too much time on my hands those were the songs that they liked to play and write that's what would explain the kind of proggy riff solo sections that sound like kansas you know here and there yeah. So like whenever they would bring those two elements together, it was always very magical when, oh, yeah. you know, a pop song, but it still had that rock and roll sensibility to it. But it's sad their- that they could never strike the balance without it coming, coming to a head then because yeah. that's, that's what I had always appreciated about sticks where it's like the, the, the prog and hard rock elements mixed in with kind of the Kansas, kind of the Chicago, kind of the, I guess, pop for the time. Yeah. And, and blending those together. I guess I always thought it was more intentional <laughs> than, than, than war. Yeah. Yeah. The, the big shot was fired in 1979 when they released their ninth album cornerstone and they wrote a song called babe, which is kind of one of those songs that most people either love or hate. I personally love it because I think it's a well-written song, but it is like, it is cheese to the ultimate factor. <laughs> so DeYoung wrote it. <laughs> and yes, and they released it and it was a number, it was their only number one hit. Wow. Like, Major points in DeYoung's corner. Yes, but Tommy Shaw has gone on record so many times saying that he hates that song he (laughs) loathes it he said that he's just like why are we why are we writing barry manilow songs we should be writing rock and roll and so they actually they got so mad at him for releasing that song that they fired him from the band but then Whoa. they realized that they didn't know how to go along without him. And so they brought him back <laughs> like a couple months later. How do you fire oh. someone from the band? Be, I don't know. 
like the thing about Dennis DeYoung is that he's not like this big get in your face guy. And so he's, I could see he would just, he probably got really hurt by it and was just like, Oh, okay. Um, I'm just going to go over here then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they were just like, Oh crap. We don't know what to do next. Okay. Dennis, can you come back? That sounds like a Rob Halford type story. Yeah. Because he really then, does make the band being the only keyboardist in a very keyboard-centered mm-hmm. songwriting style. I mean, I, I'm sure they realized that they couldn't replace him. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so when he came back, though, the tensions didn't go away because yeah. that was a wound that wasn't ever going to heal. And so then it came to a head again on their 11th record, Kill Warriors Here which was Dennis DeYoung's attempt to write a concept record about robots in the future that have um, made rock and roll illegal and about a one rocker's journey to try and bring music back. And um, DeYoung and, or not DeYoung, uh, Young and Shaw just completely rebelled against the concept and refused to contribute to it. And we're Whoa. just like, this, this is stupid. Why? Why are we making this record? But what do you mean? That's essentially twenty one twelve with robots. Yes, I don't see what's not actually, to love. Like, and that's... it's actually a pretty decent record. It's kind of gone down in infamy as the album that broke sticks, and De Young shol- always shoulders the blame for it by the public mm-hmm. because it was ultimately his vision, but it really wasn't his fault. And so this kind of takes me into the narrative that has always gone through, like whenever people talk about sticks, it's always, they always frame it as you're either a DeYoung fan or you're a Shaw fan and mm-hmm. you can't like both. And it's really uncool to like the DeYoung stuff. If you are a rock and roll guy, you've got to be in the Shaw side of the corner and I'll raise my hand and say that for a long time, I believed that narrative. Even mm-hmm. going into researching for this episode, I was just like, DeYoung was dumb. He was arrogant. He was egotistical. He tried to take control of the band from the real rock and roll guys. But then doing my research, I've actually found that I think I'm more in the Dennis DeYoung side. Wow. Because I found that I think a lot of his songs are better. And just looking at the way all of these situations were handled, he his hands were tied so much because you had both the guitar players actively, aggressively coming at you. And then the Panazzo brothers were always just kind of like, we'll just go with the majority, you know, Dang. very passive. And so pretty much that automatically turned it into four against one. And Mm. so on top of him really being a nice guy and um, being just kind of this very sensitive, you know, it's just like no wonder he just got bullied so much. Mm. And nowadays – He's much more aggressive about the way he talks about the other band members, but I don't blame him. 
because they kind of treated him like crap. And he was the he was the guy that was writing all of their top songs. Like I want to say they had seven top ten singles, and six of them were written by Dennis DeYoung. Yeah, it sounds like, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. There's a because jazz is kind of this. I know you guys probably haven't done a, or I know that there's not a jazz episode yet, but we will. Jazz, jazz kind of has this thing where the art of jazz becomes this like whole, like this like golden calf in the industry where it's like if it's not original jazz, if it's not like a part of this ethos of genre then like a lot of the really hardline jazz guys will totally deny like that it's jazz and it seems like this is a scenario that's maybe similar in the rock industry where it's like because it's not this exact type of rock because it's not hard rock because it's not this way then we're gonna deny that it's even a for thing. sure for I think sure. De Young got caught up in that and and that's why I think even everybody now, whether you're what whatever side of the coin that you're on, it's like Styx's best stuff is whenever they combined pop and prog rock aspects of the music and combine it together for something original. Mm-hmm. I mean and, yeah. and I think it's out of that originality because I, I agree, like Babe is is a fine song. It is really cheesy pop. But there's other stuff where it's like there there's the mainstream people that listen to music aren't going to love the prog stuff that the the hardline rock guitarists are into. Mm-hmm. But whenever you bring it together and what I well, at least what I attribute Sticks' success to is that they the originality of being able to it's like you you it's like the spoonful of sugar with the medicine going down where it's like, hello public. I know you don't really love Prague, but do you like this? You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, yes. And then they love it because it's not just like, so in your face, uh, mm-hmm. for the rock musician. And then, yeah. And then there's also the aspect of you're going to have every musician playing on this song. I mean, just as a band. And so if everybody's not fully invested, then you're not going to get good parts. You're not going to get good tracks and good writing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that what they really, they really had the perfect setup to be so, have such a longevity because you had a guy that could not only write the hit songs so easily but love to write them let him write the hit songs and then you fill the rest of the album with the songs that you guys want to do yeah or at least arrange them like at least yeah. arrange them to be a certain way i think there's a way that everybody could win and that that's just going back to the mentality of rock or only rock and and i love rock but like there there's a way where everyone can win and i and i think it probably honestly in a weird kind of way it probably hurt the guitar players like feelings whenever such a crap like not a crappy song in their in their mind such a crappy song is their like number one 
triple platinum, like all the recognition now. Now they're like a rock guitar player that's in like a pop rock band, you know? And then yeah. where their main.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about sticks and their divisive history. And now it's time to talk about the six songs that we have chosen for this episode. So, yeah. what do I mean by six songs? So, for those of you that are uh, joining us for the very first time, um, what we do in this segment is the six songs allow for us to be able to talk concretely about the band and about their music as well as just provide some fun facts, some trivia, talk about, you know, what the songs are about, how they were recorded. And also, like, this is my way of, if you've never listened to Sticks before, these six songs are going to be your best possible first step. So I'm not going to, like, put a bunch of deep cuts in there or songs that are really um, challenging to listen to. Rather, you know, this is going to be step one, introducing you to some of their best music. And then whenever we return to Sticks, we'll kind of like go deeper into their catalog and find some hidden gems. So I'm also picking and arranging the songs in a way to where they transition well from each other. They flow from start to finish to where, you know, it's not just a random hodgepodge thrown together. Um, if you intentionally listen to the set of songs, you'll hopefully be taken on an emotional journey and uh, have a cathartic experience at the end. So uh, the way to listen to these songs is in the description of the episode, um, there is a link to a Spotify playlist and you'll be able to listen to all the songs there, as well as all the songs from every other episode that we've done. So please listen to the songs, even if you've heard them before. Uh, hearing them in the order that they're put in, I guarantee you'll get something new out of it. So I think we can go ahead and get started. So the first song on this set is The Grand Illusion, the title track off of that seventh breakout record i so, think this was such a good first song i, I was gonna ask say that. why <laughs> why pick the grand illusion out of all the other songs that you could have picked why grand illusion first so this is the opening track off of that record and the the song is pretty much like a big welcome the opening lines being welcome to the grand illusion mm-hmm. uh, come on in get your tickets for the show the band starts playing like it's almost like they're introducing themselves um it's very theatrical which is very dennis DeYoung. he's the one that wrote this song and he's also the one that sings the lead on it and um it's just it's just a big like it's very like circus to where it's like this it's this big theater show you know you've got the the drum roll and the the almost like the megaphone style vocals it's um it almost kind of reminds me uh have you seen hunchback of notre dame yeah Mm -hmm. 
it kind of the the um, court of miracles it kind of reminds not the court of miracles the topsy-turvy day kind of reminds me of that like that same kind of style of just totally goofy like circus-like atmosphere mm-hmm. and so melodic yes yeah. oh yeah uh, Dennis was such a melodic writer, and he's he was so good at writing pop hooks. And this song is full of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the whole beginning section is like an introduction. It's it's an introduction to the album as well. Which the Grand Illusion I didn't realize until I started l- getting deep into it is kind of a concept record in of itself, mm-hmm. although very loose. Because all of the songs in some way deal with things not being what they appear to be. Um, and, th- and then that's what the whole central message of the song is. Once we get into the meat of it. The whole- yeah, it's kind of a sad song. Yeah, but at the same time, it's a, it's a cautionary tale. But it actually has an optimistic message. And that's what Dennis DeYoung wrote about a lot. He was very much an optimist in his writing. He always, he didn't sing about um, break, really breakup songs or pessimistic songs. Like would write these very um, loving, endearing, optimistic songs. And that's what this is. He's telling you to not be fooled by what you see. Um, everything is we're all opinion. the same. That's right. He's mm-hmm. he's saying, you know, it's okay. Don't be discouraged if, you know, you're not living as well as the people that look around you because no one is as happy as they seem. Mm-hmm. And what a relevant song for today's culture. There's yeah, actually yeah. not a ton of, I mean, in terms of the epicness there's not a ton of lyrics in this song. No, it's um, it's very instrumental driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much you get most of your lyrics right off the bat before the, um, before the um, instrumental section in the middle. But yeah, the, right. I really, I really like the lyrics. Like it says, "Don't be fooled by the radio, the TV, or the magazines. They show you photographs of how your life should be, but they're just someone else's fantasy." This, mm-hmm. I think, this just comes into play as another. We keep, we keep talking about striking the balance of their pop, the pop vocals versus the instrumentation. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is a good example of just like give the pop its spotlight because people can stomach it and then introduce the the more complicated part of the band like each one gets its spotlight each one has its place mm-hmm. yeah it, like when he says you know because deep inside we're all the same and then he says all the same and it breaks into that kind of proggy riff section mm-hmm. yeah that, where that, the, but the guitar solo comes in right Right, and there you have that long instrumental section, which with kind of the intermittent lyrics. I think that, I think that was such a good way of letting each of those lines have their own little punch to them. You know, like get yourself yeah. a brand new motor car. You know, it's like makes you think about the implications of everything behind what he's saying, 
uh-huh. while listening to the solos and the and the music. Yeah, it's uh, the the musical composition throughout this whole song is is very um, it's it's the it's the the good side of Prague where it's just, it's really clever and well thought off, but it's not like so overtly in your face technical. Right. (laughs) It's just, it's very imaginative while still staying in a pretty easy to define um, framework. 80s rush. Yes. Exactly. (laughs) Most of this set is somewhere between Boston and 80s rush. Yeah. I would say. Um, and I always mention which song is my favorite. If I don't forget, this one's probably my favorite. Oh, interesting. Just because it's like all around really good. It has good lyrics. I didn't realize it had like more of an optimistic message. Now that you mention it, it makes more sense. Yeah, especially in the final line. He's telling everyone that we will realize it and we're going to be better. Someday soon we'll stop to ponder mm-hmm. what on earth we're under we made the grade and still we wonder who the hell we are just saying just like we're all going to realize it at some point and we're all going to be better off for it mm-hmm. and and there's the music kind of breaks down at that point uh-huh because it's it's a it's a more thought-provoking line you know the music is following what the mood is and not necessarily just being there for the story for something like hung my head with sticks yeah you know it's not just a music backing it's carrying the emotion along yeah so anyway i like that yeah i think that it's a great introductory opening salvo because it kind of gives you everything that makes up sticks the the hard rock the progginess the poppiness you've got that that big introduction where he's pretty much talking straight to the listener saying, you know, come listen to our band, you know, see what you think. Yeah. And it it starts on that big fifth interval, you know, that, that power interval when he says, Uh welcome to the grand illusion. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Which is all over rock. And so, of course, it sounds like you're at a concert, you know, or or whatever kind of um, show. Because, A, he's singing that, but also, again, the music is portraying that idea. You know, he doesn't start on the third, or he doesn't start on, like, the flat third or whatever. We're in that Mixolydian mode, you know, which all of ACDC pretty much is in that mode because it's so rock. Yeah. I, I I see a lot of similarities between this song and Pink Floyd's "In the Flesh" that starts off the wall. Um, yeah, just, a little, just obviously more fleshed out because "In the Flesh" is definitely more of a prologue song. But as far as like the feel of it and the bigness, the grandeur of it, and the just the fact that it's meant to serve as this big opening number. Mm-hmm. So. Um, We'll go ahead and move on to the next song, which is where we get to kind of see a little bit more of their rock and roll side. And that's uh, Too Much Time on My Hand. So I do have to ask, is was this song referenced in Wasted Years? 
Iron Maiden. It's it's possible. There's actually multiple connections between Iron Maiden and Styx. Okay. Uh, they have a song called The Clairvoyant, mm-hmm. where their chorus is the exact same melody line from Styx's song, uh, Blue Collar Man. Mm. And Blue Collar Man was a good almost 10 years before The Clairvoyant came out. Do you know what song? Do you know what Clairvoyant? What song I'm talking about? No. Mm-mm. They have a they have a course that goes. It's a time to live and a time to die. When it's time to meet your maker, and uh, Sticks has blue collar man that goes long nights, impossible lives, keeping my eye to the keyhole. <laughs> it's like pretty much the same thing. And uh, I don't. I feel like. A, a phrase like too much time on my hands is as an often enough used phrase that it's not like so particular that they pulled it straight from sticks. But I mean, it's like it's but, the same rhythm, it's kind of the same melodic shape. Uh huh. You know, and when I first heard Wasted Years, I thought that's where I heard that line <laughs> from. Okay. And it wasn't until we were listening to the songs that I realized, oh, it was a completely different song. I, I actually thought that those were the same song. <laughs> is what I mean. <laughs> so okay. it, that's that's why I mentioned that. So um, this song is off of their 1981 record, Paradise Theater. And uh, Paradise Theater was their only number one album they ever released. Even though they had four multi-platinum albums in a row... This was the fourth one in that series of four, and uh, the only one that went to number one. But it's a really great record, and it's that it is actually a concept record. Um, the album is based off of an actual theater in Chicago called the Paradise Theater that um, opened in the twenties and very um, infamously rain itself out of business by the 50s and got demolished but kind of mm. was this um this freeze frame in a certain period of american history of just very being very opulent very gaudy bright lights um you know the 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 ritzy people would go there to see movies and theater and musicals and and then so- kind of they drove it drove it into the ground just with mismanagement and being unwilling to adapt to the times Dang. so then how does that relate to the song so this or song does... is from the perspective of the theater manager as he's going out of business wow so he's saying that that's and... not optimistic what no so this but this was not written by Dennis DeYoung this was written in some Shaw. Oh. Okay. Who was definitely more of the pessimist writer in the band. So he must be singing. Yes, he is. He's he's got more of a rock and roll voice than DeYoung is. DeYoung kind of has this very pronounced falsetto to his voice. um, But this was before all the drama. This No, this was actually in the middle of the drama. So... 1981 when this album came out so this was in between the oh, two 81 yeah oh dang because the firing happened in 79 and then Kilroy 
the band, the album that broke the band was in 83. So it was actually kind of amazing that this really great record kind of sprouted right in the middle, kind of the last time that they were able to, for the most part, put aside their differences and make a really great record. Mm -hmm. And this is the only uh, stick song, not by Dennis DeYoung, to crack the top 10. This made it to like number nine, I believe. So this is, this is their highest charting, um, uh, rock song. It is stylistically a major turn from where we just were. Yes, but still it's, you know, it's still got a pretty pop. Uh, it's not like a hard rock song. It's not like renegade, Hard, but it's definitely more guitar driven. But you still got that that synth line, that bo bo bam bum bam bum bam bam which is definitely a a great Dennis DeYoung keyboard line. But you know, it's it's a it's a rock and roll tune. It's it's one of those ones that from the band that is played all the time on rock and roll radio. This is a rock radio favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, just like you still like you've got the you've got the hand claps and all the too much pop pop time on my hands. That's mm-hmm. you know it's they're still dipping in the pop side, but you still got that rock and roll. You know, it's got that that pounding beat to it. The guitar solo is really great on this song, and then of course just. Tommy Shaw just sings with more bite in his voice than DeYoung does where, you know, he's more focused on being melodic and very exact in the way he sings. Tommy's got more of just that kind of, you know, I'm an everyday guy that's just kind of going to scratch out the the vocals. Mm -hmm. I got too much, you know. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of attitude. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the opening line, yeah, I'm sitting on this bar still talking like a damn fool, got the 12 o'clock news blues. That's a Tommy Shaw lyric right there. <laughs> yeah. Just the whole the whole song just is very much like, is it any wonder I'm not crazy? Is it any wonder I'm not in jail? Uh, is it any wonder I'm null and void? Just very much like, you know the the song of a man that's kind of spiraling almost into madness because he's he's got nothing to do. Hmm. Dang. Yeah. I'm I'm still having trouble understanding the meaning of those lines. Like what what is what is the idea behind it? Okay, so each like verse kind of each verse kind of presents a different scenario. So um Verse one is pretty much just talking about him sitting around, getting drunk, and watching TV all day. Talk the twelve o'clock news blues, uh, gotcha. watching, and then the afternoon soaps, so soap operas, and saying I got a bottle of cold brew. You know, sitting on a bar stool, which means he's in a bar watching TV. Um, and then the pre-chorus being, "Is it any wonder I'm not crazy? Is it any wonder I'm saying it all just like I'm about to." be so inane by the monotony of what I'm doing that I could lose my mind. 
And then the second verse talking about um, just getting out of the house, but still having nothing to do, just mindlessly driving around the city, just looking for something to do. And then the second pre-course saying, is it any wonder I'm not a criminal? Any wonder I'm not in jail? Like, I'm so bored that I might just do something illegal just to just to yeah. have some excitement because nothing in my life is um, is working out. And then the third one, um, talking about how he's got lots of people in his life. I've got dozens of friends and the fun never ends. That is as long as I'm buying. Mm. So as long as, as I'm buying everyone drinks... I'll have friends around me, but they're not real friends. They're just opportunists. And he knows how to take advantage of it. Is it any wonder I'm not the president? Is it any wonder I'm null and void? Hmm. And then the whole thing, I think, kind of wraps around this idea of ticking away. I don't think is necessarily a clock, but a ticking time bomb. He is a time bomb that if he doesn't... He's going to run out of money. And he's also going to... his he, Him as a person sanity. His sanity is going to... Um, is it any wonder I've got too much time on my hands? It's taking away with my sanity. Oh, uh, yeah. And then very oh. ominous at the very end when he's whispering and you can hear the clock ticking away. Mm-hmm. So, it's a really interesting song, and one I did that... not, I did not pick up on that. I honestly thought they put the clocks there because it had time in the title. Yeah, I, I I'm, think I'm glad we talked about that. Okay, I, I think that it's it's it represents a time bomb, just like you know, he's he's about to have a psychotic break and just lose his mind, and who knows what's hmm. Okay. They're, they're, you know, for being such a rock song, I can't say that any of the parts stood out to me as much as the more theatrical stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, because Grand Illusion had a lot of really, like, even for being a theatrical song, it had great prog sections. Or at least prog for that time sections. Uh-huh. Um, and this one, not so much. It seemed like more of a simpler song. Yeah. And maybe and that's, that's just... just the nature of Shaw's writing versus he, DeYoung's. Yeah, he's much more of a rock radio type of writer. You know, he's he's not as much the proggy guy. Like, the more hard rock prog songs, that's going to come from, like, James Young. And um, kind of just more of, like, you know, the, like, working man rock and roll, like ACDC style rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Uh, that comes from more Tommy Shaw, you know, writing stuff in the in the blues um, progression and, you know, just kind of riff-based rock. That's kind of what he mm. excels at. But he also has such a, um, a great sense of melody as well because this song is full of great melody. That's just true. Different, just in a different way than Dennis's. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good. So, I, this song, 
<laughs> I think we can go ahead and move on to song three, which is my favorite song of the set. Ooh, and, I'm not surprised. And the song that is on our Patreon channel. Yes. And that it, song is Fooling Yourself, The Angry Young Man. The Angry Young Man. This song kind of reminds me of Foreplay Long Time, you know? And yeah. This is, I, this is why I say that they're kind of somewhere between 80s Rush and Boston. Yeah. Because there's a, there's a lot of keyboard lines and, you know, there's the whole instrumental section in the beginning, but it's overall pretty pop. Mm-hmm. I would say. Yeah, especially all of the parts where there's vocals is very much pop structure, but then every time it breaks away to the, the instruments, it switches to, like, full-on prog. Yeah. So that I think this is probably one of the best verse vocal lines that you can do over such a simple backing. Yes. Uh, and ending on that that little one, three, five melody. Um, or maybe, maybe, I don't think that's what it is. No, it isn't. It's like, a, it's like, whatever. Whatever it is, it sounds good, okay? <laughs> uh, Ethan I'm, could probably figure it out. I'm surprised, <laughs> I'm surprised on this song how clean it's produced because they're doing a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the like the acoustic on this is sounds so good for a rock record, <laughs> and then that, that and that's not necessarily a jab at all other rock songs that have acoustics. It's just that this one is so like it, it's so stylistic and clean. Whenever it comes in, just the way that everything is mixed and everything is produced is it's produced like a pop record. Yeah. And just how, because the vocals are just placed so good. Just Mm -hmm. everything about the structure of the song, you don't think it should work. (laughs) Because it's a lot of weird elements. And and that's, again, going back to the prog fusion of it, where it's like there's weird time signatures and timings that, like, if you're not a musician, it's. Like it doesn't come naturally to follow, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but still being able, like Grant was saying, where it's like the verse kicks in, it's so melodic, and it, it just goes right to four four, right to something that's really familiar to the audience. Yeah, it's yeah. I would also probably say that this is my favorite. Yeah, yeah. It's this was uh, definitely the most proggy hit single that they've ever had normally these kinds of songs are um reserved for deeper album cuts but i think it's really cool that they decided to make this a um a single Hmm. i want to say i don't think it did like super great but it i think it made it to like number 22 or somewhere around there and it's definitely and it's on their greatest hits. Mm-hmm. But it's just that keyboard line at the beginning is so like such an anthem keyboard line mm-hmm. <laughs> sound. Yeah. yeah. It sound it definitely sounds like something that would have inspired Dream Theater later on. It like, it just, almost sounds like almost kind of like you're walking through this like magical 
Narnia style like forest land place. Which is exactly what is on the cover of the Grand Illusion. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Really? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's a it's a <laughs> it's a it's a mythical forest. Well, they did good on that. <laughs> that's crazy. I I haven't looked at the album art. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I got it right in front of me. I I can see that. It, okay, that that wasn't what I was picturing. But, but still, it's it's still in the yeah. same what you were saying. Yeah, it kind of kind of a little bit less um, you know, abstract. But this is actually a Tommy Shaw song. Whoa. Wow. So a little bit of a clock twist. I was twist not here. expecting that at all. <laughs> well, that goes right into my theory of when everybody's fully invested, you get the best stuff. Yes. I think that this is the perfect example of both of the worlds combining and melding perfectly. Because um, he wrote this song and sang it. And the song is about Dennis DeYoung. Oh, more sad. Yeah, so, okay. This was before they started to go to war with each other. And this was about um, about the sensitive nature of Dennis DeYoung. Um, you know, specifically about how... So their fifth album, Equinox, which is the first one on their major label after Lady was a hit, was a big hit. Then Crystal Ball, which was the first one that Tommy Shaw was on, actually did was less successful than um equinox was mm-hmm. and and then obviously they would shoot big with grand illusion right after that but um dennis was really upset that they didn't make another step forward with that record i think that they made a step forward songwriting but sales wise um and so this song was tommy just kind of consoling him why must you be such an angry young man when your future looks quite bright to me mm-hmm. how can there be such a sinister plan that could hide such a lamb such a caring young man which and is just fooling yourself if you don't believe it uh-huh another another thing tying into the album's theme of things not being what they seem telling Dennis DeYoung that your cynical view of life is an illusion because everything is bright and everything is going to work out despite you not thinking it will. But didn't you say that he was the more pessimistic writer? Yes. And so what Tommy Shaw has said, because this was early in his songwriting, he, you could see him turning more pessimistic as he goes along and he says now he doesn't see this song as written to Dennis but sees it as himself now when he sings and plays a song he feels like he's talking to himself but whenever he wrote it he was talking to Dennis yes which is so interesting because man it just brings more drama into it because that line the come on let's see what you've got just take your best shot and don't blow it it feels like he was trying to like like, like spur him on uh-huh like, like a motivational like like it seems like they were pretty tight before i mean everything went down yeah yeah i'm telling you it's probably the drugs played a big role in that because they did a lot of cocaine in that band i mean that's the time in history 
when that happened. Mm-hmm. So. Tommy Shaw for sure said that he did a lot of cocaine around that era of sticks. Musically, musically, who was the driver? Because especially on this, like, there's little flute stuff happening. There, there's like tons and tons and tons of texture. Who, who is the main driver in the band? I guess producer-wise, for like, I guess the more prog elements of the of the sound. I'm pretty sure that's Dennis because he is the theatrical one. He's the one that is loves putting the little the little flurries and kind of the trills that you see like, you know, having that fooling yourself. Yeah. It's the very it's almost like uh orchestral uh the way that everything fits together. Well, this is getting even weirder because we we were talking about how this this was a Tommy Shaw song, but it sounds really optimistic. Yeah, it's and now we're saying that DeYoung is writing all the prog stuff and Shaw wrote all the pop stuff. Yeah, exactly. It, it really is a grand illusion. <laughs> it really it is. is. Um, I think just. At the time of Grand Illusion, when you listen to that album front to back, it's definitely their best record. Um, they just there was just this blurring of lines of who wrote what kinds of songs. They were just all gelling and they were all on the same page. None of their other albums give you that sense. On all the other albums, you can feel like, oh, this is a Dennis song, this is a Tommy song, this is a James Young song. On the Grand Illusion, it just kind of all fits together in this in this really well balanced uh, stew. That's nice. And I think it was because this they hadn't gotten the big success that went to their heads yet. They were still trying to make. They were still working hard to make that album that was going to get them the big time. Yeah. But at the same time, they had been together long enough that they kind of, how I talked about with the Beatles, they wrote a lot of their bad songs. Yeah. And so they got all of those songs out of their system. And now at this point, just their songwriting was so sharp. And, you know, it took them an album to really get settled in with Tommy. And so by the second album with him, it was just kind of like everything was just perfect to kind of make this this perfect record. And then the drama started. And then the drama started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although like I would every say band has that one album where it's just everything comes together. And then after that, it's never the same. Yep. It happened. The Eagles with hotel California. Right. Floyd with dark side of the moon. Well, uh, okay. Yeah. We can agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> well, no, I'm. I would say that that's that was objectively, that... yeah. I'll take. I'll yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not saying like where the art itself suffered, but where just like the band kind of starts to grab for power, and there starts to become that power struggle inside of the band of going, well, wait a minute, who's uh, the leader? Oh yeah. Because it was after Dark Side of the Moon that Roger Waters really started to wrest control away from the other members. Mm-hmm. I see. And same, 
same with the Eagles between, you know, Felder and Fry and Henley, just kind yeah. of fighting each other of going, who's who's in control? Especially when you have a band where you've got multiple musical creative geniuses and alpha personalities. Yeah, it happened with Van Halen in 1984. Yep. Which which was one of those where they were up going up and up and up and every album was getting better and better and better. Uh, but David Lee Roth and, and Eddie just were ultimately two different creative forces. And I think that's the same way it was with Shaw and DeYoung. Yeah. Is, is but... they, they wanted to, they were writing different kinds of music. Uh-huh, but in both it, those instances. I think that just the grand illusion is was the moment when everything was just perfectly coalesced. Right. And it was before and, the egos. Yes. Like they they were like what we said at the beginning of the episode it's like they were on this weird pseudo journey to trying to find their sound. Mm-hmm. And then it feels like the album when they finally got it and they finally figured out how to gel. And and on the one song that you think fooling yourself, you're like, oh, yeah, DeYoung definitely wrote that, you know, and all the prog stuff. Oh, definitely. You know? Yeah. It's like, oh, it's actually reversed. Why? Because they they gelled and the blinds got blurred and everybody was just in in that element of knowing what they could do and how far they could push together. Mm -hmm. And it just sucks that it just kind (laughs) of died. Yeah. But fooling yourself is just, is kind of does that one of those perfect moments. And we'll talk about another song off of that album where just everything just happens to combine for a perfect uh, soup of music. Oh, yeah, we will. <laughs> um, so real quick, before we move on, I wanted to talk a little bit about we haven't really been talking about Dennis DeYoung's keyboard play. And since, Ethan, you played keyboards on the cover songs for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. We we talk. Everyone always talks about Dennis DeYoung as a songwriter and a singer, but he doesn't get near the credit he deserves as being a great keyboard player. So learning the keys for these songs kind of tell me a little bit about um, the I would say he probably doesn't get the the credit because he at least from whatever I was playing he feels like more of a producer keyboard player in terms of like he his parts that he was writing are like genius for the song but yeah. whenever I was listening to like like the solo sections that he was that he's taking on the songs yeah none of it's like wow like what an incredible it was kind of like really awkward like like his the way that he approaches soloing is like very counterintuitive to what i would say anyone in Prague was doing or anyone i had never heard like a keyboard solo that was structured in the way that he's structuring it uh huh. But it's it's because like like on fooling yourself, it's like it's like more like I guess theatrical would be a good way to put it. It's like he he plays he plays his keyboard parts like a classical trumpet player would play the part. So you know, 
So you you mean that as like he's more of a producer keyboardist and says he's more focused on making the sounds, he's more focused on the mood and less focused on the technicality? More like he's better at writing keyboard parts than he is at like being like a really great keyboard player. Okay. Um, he's still a better writer than he is an yes. executioner, executor, executor. Which is not not to take away anything from the stuff that he was playing because it's really right. good. Right. But like nothing that he was playing was like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. But like, like the like the um, that break where it's like, uh, get up, get back on your feet, na 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 na. Like mm-hmm. is just a clever keyboard part, you know. And there's interesting sounds, and it's and it's phrased really well. But I guess him as a keyboard player again, a better producer key, like his keys parts that he was coming up with creatively. That's what I was impressed with. Okay, and just the blend that he was getting. But uh, <laughs> I probably wouldn't put him in like a top 20 list of the greatest uh, rock keyboard players of all time. Oof, oh, but... I wouldn't either. And my my whole thing is just that he's, I think it's something that people forget about him. But I actually think that his ability, playing what he was playing, um, is that his i don't know whether he was classically trained or or whatever but it sounds like it and that probably is a big attribute to um the style of music that he was writing was probably really heavily influenced by what he could play on the keyboard that more choppy kind of like uh i don't want to say like honky tonk necessarily but it's like (laughs) It's like honky tonk vibes with kind of how sparse it is. Yeah, uh, kind of like the. Um, I don't know how to describe it. If if you guys kind of catch the vibe, it's just the. Nobody else is was playing keys like that, and so him <laughs> bringing that kind of element into Prague like again like the random little flute like is like it 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 that should have been played by a trumpet section you know what i mean yeah uh, we have a keyboard player recorded maybe in modern day where there's a lot more ability to you know throw in stuff like whenever he tours now he actually tours with like a full orchestra and that makes a lot of sense, but it just feels like he's playing like he would be arranging a horn section. Interesting. Even in the solo section, it's just very like almost like it's a demo. And just like this is like a legitimate like classical like iteration of a keyboard solo. <laughs> it's very strange but again i think for the vibe that they were going for that it adds kind of that prog fantasy element to it the kind of the the theater kind of vibe to it i think that's where a lot of the 
a lot of that stuff comes from I attribute him for or whoever produced the record like picking those sounds and picking those parts and putting those in under those like massive key like that massive uh guitar <laughs> kind of like mm-hmm. and just texturing over all that with the keyboard stuff it's i was more impressed at the at the keyboard parts like how they fit into the song structurally than i was that it was like wow these keyboard parts are so difficult or so technical impressive yeah you were impressed by the by the musicality yeah by the musicality i got you well we've already had all of our three favorite songs but we still have the two biggest hits left i (laughs) probably the two most recognizable songs of this set right so well yeah we'll go ahead and get into what i would say is they're the most song right now played on radio for them, which is Renegade. Okay. This has kind of become like their most um, recognizable song as far as like, maybe not knowing that sticks does it, but it's like the one song that if you were to play all these, they would be like, Oh, I've heard that song. Oh, I definitely think it's the last one, but the last one is the one that I would say that everyone knows is sticks. It's their, it's the most, um, like archetypal stick song but renegade is like that song gets played on radio all (laughs) the time it's kind of like one of the great classic rock anthems now Mm -hmm. so who wrote this this is a tommy shaw song i mean yeah (laughs) so i had to check after full after hearing that (laughs) i'm just trying to gauge everything at this point yeah um so yeah this is on the album pieces of eight which is the album after grand illusion this was still before fighting really started to break out uh but this is also what i would say is their hardest rocking album and where the big hits on this album were not any dennis DeYoung songs but it was this was kind of more of a tommy shaw record uh, the two big hits off this album being Renegade and Blue Collar Man, which is another Tommy Shaw song. And so it's you can kind of, I guess, see the beginning of it because it feels like him and James Young really dominate this record and don't really let him write any of the the whimsical ballad pop songs. Hmm. Yeah. It's kind of more of a hard rock record. So the record in general, is this is there a concept or a story to the record no. that this fits uh, in? It's just a record. And it's a pretty great record, but it's not as good as uh, Grand Illusion or I would say Paradise Theater. But I would say it's their third best record because there are some great hard rock songs and then uh dennis DeYoung gets a couple of moments to shine like on queen of spades but he really kind of gets put in the background on this album so it's not dennis's voice at the beginning no tommy shaw it Perfect. sounds kind of deeper Hmm. he's got a bit more of a rich tone to his voice where um it, it's kind dennis of like the DeYoung difference between paul and john sound to his voice 
Mm-hmm. It's the same it, as the difference between Paul and John. Exactly. Yeah. Tommy Shaw's got a bit more of um of a down to earth sound to his voice, yes. where um Dennis Dion kind of has a bit more of a theatrical, almost Broadway approach to how he sings. Ooh, Broadway. That's a great way of putting it, actually. Yeah. 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 Okay. So this is the other song that we did a cover of. So this one is on our YouTube channel. So it's free for everyone to just go take a look at. And Luke has so, hit some really high notes in this one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Got that three-part harmony. I, yeah, I, I, I lost that's, track that's of how many parts. It was like a five-part harmony. <laughs> yeah, and the second the second time we hit it. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. I'm very I'm very grateful to both of you guys with helping me deconstruct that because harmonies are a weakness of mine. As far as being able to tell what's going on, Ethan probably knows all about harmony from jazz. Jazz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I but think jazz. that the the thing on this song. I I love the I guess from a production standpoint I love the the kind of contrast I love just starting off with the lone vocal and then adding the layers as we go getting up into the the jig is up you know getting into that the chorus I guess yeah I I love how it just it just starts off with the lonely the mm-hmm. lonely oh mama and <laughs> yeah. and when, and when we come back to that again when we have that reprise it's once again just the kick drum and the vocals but now it's bigger yeah. because we have it's angry so much, so much more content. yeah it's a, it's a it's a great way of reprising i love reprisals at when they change it make it bigger and more theatrical that's why i love the ending of octavarium you know and that's why i really like this reprisal here is because it's it's literally the same thing but it's just tempo and different yeah higher yeah i don't know you yeah. got some higher harmonies in there and it's just sung with so much more fury and desperation yeah because yeah so the describing the lyrics it's you know it's not just a you know a drifter this is this is a man that is wanted dead or alive and he's pretty sure that they're going to get him dead. So he's done some pretty heinous things apparently. And you this know, is, this is totally fantastical. Oh yeah. This okay. it sounds like it would have taken place like in the old West. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the hangman <laughs> coming down from the gallows and you know, it just, it's, it's very simple the lyrics are not really the focus of the song. It's kind of more meant just to kind of get us to the guitar is what's the kind of the point of the song. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, the, the two big guitar solos, that guitar break right into the first solo is pretty awesome. And just, yeah, that's, yeah, this, this song is meant to just be like, you know, something when you play live, you just, can jam on it and extend that ending section out and just kind of have it be just something more you connect to on a primal level rather than very cerebral like fooling yourself would be yeah so in, Which the, is why in the song does the main character lose 
Like, does he? It, it feels like I, I assume that he gets captured. That's kind of that's kind of it it they finally it found never, me. It never says that they did. Like, um, yeah, I, I would say he did because he's saying the judge will have his revenge today. Yeah, so he's saying like you know they've the jig is up. So they finally, yeah, I guess it feels like it kind of sounds like he's in the song that he that he's like oh crap like they found me uh, this, yeah the hangman's coming to get me and then the second it, time he it comes sounds through. like he's in like an actual prison cell and he's writing this out to someone well probably to his mother right but but it, so- it, it oh, sounds mama. like it's like i'm gonna die this is why it's happening right now kind of almost like um like hallowed be thy name yeah, that's Same what I was actually setting. about to say. Right. Is that what you just... I'm sorry. No, it was what I was going to say. Okay. <laughs> you read my mind. I stole your idea. So is this literally just a fantastical made-up story, or is this coming from a place from uh, Shaw? I th- I want to say this is probably purely fantastical. It's probably just something like, this is a cool rock and roll thing to sing about. Um... If there is yeah. any kind of personal, deeper meaning to it, I mean, it's always possible. You know, every every song that a person writes always has some kind of correlation to their real life. Mm-hmm. But as far as it being overt, not that I know yeah. of. This This kind of just sounds more of like a, you know... Um, criminals and rebellion is rock and roll, so let's sing about that. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's not there's not a whole lot to say about the song. I mean, it's it's another Shaw song, so it's yeah. not complicated. It's not theatrical. Well, ex- again, except for the last one was. <laughs> yeah, except for <laughs> yeah, that except random for, last well, one. Okay, but that and was, and the next one is going to be too. Day album. Okay, so that doesn't really count. <laughs> our our next song is a Tommy Shaw song as well, but it's definitely got a bit more complexity to it. Oh yeah, that pre-chorus, I have a, some notes on that, but mm-hmm. we can go ahead and get to that one. If I have nothing else to say about Renegade. Yeah, we'll go ahead and get into Crystal Ball. This was another contender for my favorite, just because of how simple this, it was. It's so good, but it was that chorus is just it kicks you in the face for some reason it, it sounds like um a doobie brothers song yeah i don't know what about it but it, it does that's kind of more we the doobie brothers for a second when when we when i heard this until we get to the next song yeah the earthiness of the the guitar and mm-hmm. it's kind of got a bit until kind of it it reveals its true nature it feels almost like a like a folk song like just kind of a like a man yeah. wandering mm-hmm. with the guitar just kind mm-hmm. of singing blues mm-hmm. but then when the when the big chorus comes in all of a sudden you're just like oh wait no this is arena pop mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah and and that that pre-chorus sets it up so well because you know usually you you'll have your if you're doing your verse of like, you know, eight bars, maybe your pre-chorus of four bars and then your chorus of four bars or whatever it is. This one has like a pre-chorus of like five bars. You know, when he mm-hmm. sings, I just gotta know. 
there's that extra thing in there that adds the little bit of suspense that transitions so well into that course because he's yeah. still it's still that one voice but it's also like the instruments are kind of ramping up a little bit you know and so uh-huh. it, it gives the space for that to happen without cutting into the final part of the the fourth bar of the course yeah man when that when that chorus hits in it it gives me chills every yes um so this was obviously off of the album crystal ball which was the first one that tommy shaw was i was about to say i'm surprised that he jumped in so strong on the first on his first album yeah yeah he does he doesn't sing too much on the first record it's still predominantly james young and and dennis but the two songs that he does which this and uh, Mademoiselle, which is definitely a song we would do on a future Sticks episode, because that song is so good. Um, you can just you can tell that he already knows what he's doing. He's already a great songwriter, and he's kind of you know introducing himself. But this song, I think, of all the songs on the set, is kind of the dark horse of their hits because it doesn't get talked about that often. Doesn't really get played on rock radio. But, like, this is a top five stick song, in my opinion. Mm. Just the way it's so interestingly um, arranged. It's not your typical um, verse chorus. Like, the way that it goes back down after that huge chorus to that very mysterious keyboard solo. But then just jumps right back into that pre-chorus. Mm-hmm. Um, the guitar solo at the end is really great. It's just um, the chorus, though, is that is that bit is the big lasting impression of the song, right? And and the way they end that chorus too with a suspension, they never yeah. resolve that suspension. There's always a little bit of mm. intrigue and mystery with it because mm-hmm. it is a crystal ball. It's like you know, I don't know <laughs> what tomorrow is, man kind of yeah <laughs> that just keeps one tomorrow going back to the whoever the key producers on this are just do such a good job of blending in the thematic elements of the song and and bringing that in musically mm-hmm. that's that's something that i think is sadly and i love modern pop music but like it's starting to get lost yeah like, we're getting more and more and more lost the meaning of the songs and how it's produced mm-hmm. it's like what you're talking about with the suspension just being like we can do that why not do that yeah. you know part part of me yeah. thinks that it was a little bit of maybe we don't have the chance to resolve it but at the same time, it still has that effect, whether it was intentional or not. I think there's definitely things that happen, and then they, after they do it, they go, "Oh, but that can." <laughs> they, they realize it after the fact and go, "Okay, yeah, that's great. We're definitely going to keep it that way now." Right. The happy accidents. Yeah. That happen happy accidents. Not not everything is so intricately. Um, part of the blueprint as they would like you to think there's some things that happen that just were not ever meant to be in the song but then it just happens to fit with the theme of what they're 
trying to say. Right, and that's okay, yeah. Yeah. So even having the foresight to to because I'm sure we've all been in the studio recording on a, on a something and then someone just has like that last second idea to be like, oh, hey, we'll play that like augmented chord like at the end. Or like, hey, what if I do this? What if I just did this, did this sus four? You know? Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, do that. Keep it. You know? Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we did, we did that with, didn't we do that with like um, Fooling Yourself? There was one we did like a time signature change somewhere. Yeah, there's a time signature change in the solo section of that. Song. Right, right. That where, where, where it randomly switches to seven. Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah, we've all been in the studio and had that happen, and and to to some extent, like you know, every musician will, you know, when they're collaborating with other musicians, it's going to happen. You know, another person in the band is going to have an idea that is ultimately going to be better than yours. And they understood that when they weren't fighting each other. And that's why it was so good. <laughs> that's because their ego didn't get away in the way of the good music. You know, it wasn't my music. It was our music. Yes. And and I'm glad that they had that point because if they didn't we probably wouldn't be talking about them mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah but anyway that's all i have to say about that <laughs> all right and so yeah this is this kind of sits even though it's big and bombastic it still kind of brings the mood down a little bit and kind of it sets us up really nice for our final song which is the ultimate stick song in my opinion and i think even though fooling my fooling yourself is my favorite, I think that "Come Sail Away" is the best song that they ever wrote. Okay, yeah, before you get too far ahead, what is the meaning of this song? So this song is um, it's just about Dennis DeYoung just kind of looking to the future of what Sticks is, you know. At this point, he has been on a long journey. This is their seventh record. And he's been with the Panazzo Brothers since he was 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And so um, the it's the realization. I think they knew that this was the album that was going to put them over the top. Because we have this switch halfway through the song where instead of being on a, a sailboat, we've we transform into a spaceship. Yeah. What is that? I think like, that I that's... thought that they were angels, you know, what are they now? Mm-hmm. They're, aliens. they're aliens. <laughs> um, okay. I think, I think that also feeds in, I think it's more of just, it's a, it's a means to an end to say that, you know, so far they've, they've been on a, on a normal boat traveling up, only the speed that the that the winds of fate allow them to travel and now they're in a place finally where they can head into the to the stratosphere and that's exactly what happened so it's so it's a it's a loose allegory it's a loose allegory to their career and to his life particular this is a dennis de young song it's very (laughs) the one that sings it it's very piano driven that opening piano line is so iconic. 
and uh, really kind of tease balls if oh you really yeah think it's about so it. cheesy but you know this is a song that still uh straddles all of the sticks sensibilities perfectly because
Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about sticks and the six, the six sticks. Try saying that. Uh, the six stick songs that we picked for this episode. Just to recap, those songs were uh, The Grand Illusion, Too Much Time on My Hands, Fooling Yourself, The Angry Young Man, Renegade, Crystal Ball, and Come Sail Away. And so now it's time to give our final thoughts. So we're going to start with you, Grant. So okay. tell me kind of just where your thoughts were on sticks before we started the episode and after listening to the songs and learning everything that you did about them kind of where you stand on them now so before this episode i'd only heard three of their songs and only knew that two of them were them it was of course renegade and come sail away (laughs) i didn't know it was them doing renegade but i also had heard their cover of i am the walrus ah yeah so which which yeah which was an okay cover um and so obviously i pretty much knew nothing about them i didn't know like what their lineup was what their history was the interpersonal conflicts that were happening um and i always kind of knew sort of what type or i thought i knew sort of what type of music they were and i was kind of correct in being the half theatrical rock prog pop area that's really kind of nebulous but they have that niche and i'm glad that we talked about the grand illusion album being so uh important and being one of their best because i feel like if i wanted to listen to more sticks i'd go straight there and i'd listen to that album all the way through You'd be correct to do that, right? And and so I think I think I think we did a good job. I think you both, Ethan and Lucas, did a good job this episode of um, coming up with with the different uh, lore of them to pique my interest. And so I'm I'm interested in them. I'll say that I'm I'm actually interested in sticks now. Whereas I didn't care before. That's a great place to be at. Yeah. All right, Ethan, let's, let's start with where you were before and after. Um, of course, of course, I feel like most people, even if, even if they wouldn't um, concede that sticks is like a top rock band, like of all time. I think everyone at least that's been around and knows of sticks and they've had an impact um, on the scene. So I think before it's like, I, I know sticks, I know come sail away. I know renegade um, kind of the big stuff, but, but I think where I'm at now, it's almost like their place in rock history to me is there. It's like a, a rock and roll tragedy story of, it just, I mean, they're 12 and 14 years old whenever they get together and they're together for so long and in a weird kind of way for, uh, I guess for better or for worse for to, to grab two outsiders, you know, and then everybody part ways. It's, it's a strange, um, 
it's a strange story. I think musically, uh, it, it's almost like it, it separated my my thoughts on them to there's there's the musical side which of course I appreciate because they're good and their mix is good and their producing is good, but now on another deeper level, it's like the story of who's writing what song and where's the you know who wrote this who sang this why you know was de young in in the process on this why was this not a concept album i'm actually really excited you know in, in a really strange way i know we didn't really get into kilroy was here but like i'm i'm interested to listen to kilroy was here just because that's what broke it you know mm -hmm. just to see like how what did it sound like whenever everything was at a head but I, again i i would agree with grant where where before it was like yeah sticks is a band they've made a big impact now it's more it's more of a an interest story it, it's it's like it's become more of like a show to me <laughs> mm -hmm. where, where it's like oh man like how did we go from from come sail away to to breaking up how do we go from from a, a top group how do we go from triple platinum to this and so yeah. The story it's it's sad to me. My my impression of Sticks now is now whenever I hear someone talks about I I'm going to feel a little bit sad. <laughs> mm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that you don't mean that in a bad way cause... No. It, it's just the like again their music is amazing and that's almost what makes it so sad is that like seeing and we, and we've been talking about this episode kind of the theme of like like why couldn't they just make the two separate worlds melt together like they could never mm -hmm. find the groove because of ego or because of substance abuse or or because of whatever was uh happening behind the scenes that we'll never know but it's it's sad to see two two personalities and two creative visions for the band like collide and and not be able to find that yin yang relationship that a lot of the great bands are known for like blending two big personalities and 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 intertwining different takes on the genre together, but they just couldn't yeah. they couldn't figure it out, and that's what makes it sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I definitely knew a lot about sticks um, before. So I wasn't near the level that you guys were at where you were just like, ah, I know they exist. Like I had listened to all their greatest hits multiple times. Um, my wife is actually like Styx is her all time favorite band. That's awesome. And she hates rock and roll. Um, she doesn't listen to anything rock and roll or really anything of that time period except for Styx. Like that's we've just we've both talked about how one of our bucket list things is to go see sticks together one day. And she loves the Dennis DeYoung stuff. She loves all the ballads and the and the and the the corny songs. Yeah. And he's kind of what deepened my appreciation for that side of it. But I always like 
I would always say my favorite songs were Renegade and Too Much Time in My Hands and those songs. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, yeah, there are, I like the rock and roll stuff and the Dennis DeYoung stuff. Yeah, it's okay. But going through this journey of researching them and really sitting with their music for quite a while and listening to a lot of stuff of theirs I had never heard before, uh, my view of them has completely shifted. Hmm. And it doesn't happen too often in this in this show where – because either I already know a lot about them and just my appreciation deepens or it's something where I don't really have a, an established opinion and I get mm-hmm. to form a first opinion. This is one where I felt like I knew them pretty well and now I feel like everything I know about them has changed. Mm. And that's kind of a first for this for this show and i think that that's a pretty cool thing to get to do to have every an entire band recontextualized after doing my homework and and just learning about the songs and the albums and seeing their story like i was hard in the in the shaw camp now i'd say i'm pretty hard into the dentist camp Hmm. while Still loving all of the hard rock stuff. I've just like when I was thinking about what are the best stick songs, I found that most of them were written by Dennis. Mm. And I was just like, well, I guess that means I'm a Dennis DeYoung fan now. Yeah. <laughs> I not think I would ever say that. But this was a really fun episode to do. Lots of firsts on this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The firsts. <laughs> So thank you everyone for uh, listening to us to this episode. Um, Very big thank you to Ethan Scott for joining us, not only for helping us on the cover song, but for being on this episode. And we uh, definitely want to have you back because I felt like we had a great uh, three-way conversation Mm -hmm. and hopefully you listeners liked it as well. And, um, Remember to check us out on social media, Instagram and Facebook. It's one of the best ways to be able to connect with us as well as kind of whenever we have announcements, we'll um, be talking to you guys on there. Um, Leave us a comment. Let us know uh, what artists you want us to do in the future. We love hearing your suggestions. I'm already starting to schedule out some of those suggestions in the future so um we do listen to you guys so let us know who you want to hear on the show and um 